I regret to inform Major League Baseball that the Guardians are, in fact, undoubtedly back on their bullshit. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. I don't remember, and I should because I was there, inserting any seagulls into the intro, but I swear I heard it. Oh, the only thing less surprising than the Guardians winning on a double play throwaway error is that Zach picked the M's to win it all and they start the season one and three. I mean, come on. You're welcome, Cleveland. Hey, the only two, the only two things that have a flock of seagulls as their soundtrack, the Selby is Godcast and Grand Theft Auto. Uh, which one is more fun, you think, for the listeners? Probably not this. Can you see blowing them? up a or just blowing up them? a car or blowing up somebody's season in the first four games? I'm trying to look in the background. Those on YouTube, maybe you can study the background, zoom in a little bit to see if you can see the actual seagulls. I don't know that I can actually make them out, but it'll be part of your uh, homework assignment if you are watching this on YouTube to go ahead and count those and drop them into the... Oh, wait, I just saw one. Drop those into the comments by the end. I want to know how many just crossed the screen behind Zach there. It almost looks like I'm in front of a green screen. There was also a yellow lab playing fetch in the outfield. And he had pretty good range. Nice. Probably wouldn't need him to go chase around some baseballs that get tossed around this series like the Mariners did to help the Guardians with that offense. No. Boy, we went through this. I don't know. We spent shows talking about the way that this team scores runs. The funny thing is, it took a little bit for that team to sort of develop into being something that you could... You could watch that play out and feel like, yeah, that's believable. That's just the way that this team scores runs. I don't know what it's worth, but starting this season, did you see another one? Oh, yeah, I see it. Starting this season, doesn't it feel like in the first first four games, maybe they don't exactly know what they're going to be in the next couple months, couple weeks even. But there's an identity here that's carrying over from last year. This team already knows the way they want to go out and, and win baseball games. Yeah, you know, I asked Mike Zanino that. I said four games you're starting to see why this style of play was so effective and um why it's just so different from what you see across the league and he said i said it to someone in the dugout today the style is pretty annoying to play against so yeah i mean you just saw like you you said it well in the open when you censored yourself but i think the one thing that stands out is you can't relax. You can't have a mental lapse. You can't make a mistake because they will capitalize every single time. And I just think everybody asked, you know, oh, are you going to be able to play the same way? Are you going to be able to just string a bunch of singles together and win games that way again? Why not? I mean, it's not, it's not going to work every night, but it's, it's the foundation that you establish this on. It, it, it's that Anytime, I mean, th- th- there are several examples. I wrote about this for Monday morning just as like a refresher. It was almost a reminding myself, oh, yeah, these are the little things that they do so well that are actually 
really enjoyable to watch because it gets lost in the shuffle when you're just thinking about, when you're thinking about a baseball game to watch, you're thinking about the things that you love and it's the big home run or a key strikeout with the bases loaded. The things about the Guardians that are pleasing to watch are Jose Ramirez advancing 90 feet on a ground out that he has no business advancing 90 feet on. It's Stephen Kwan working an eight pitch at bat. Like little things like that, that they do so well that it's really easy to just overlook. But you add those things up because everybody in the lineup can offer something. And what you get is a team that wins close games. It's a team that is just a complete pest to the opposition and a team that started the year 3-1. and one. Well, welcome to the show. It is the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. He's at a ballpark. He's going to have to scoot soon, so this will be an abbreviated show. But, of course, we had to be here to recap the opening series in which the Guardians emerged with a 3-1 and one record. Maybe it didn't feel like they were going to emerge with three wins in the series. When you watch the opener, Luis Castillo was fantastic. And in watching that, you know, there are times where, like I imagine being a Mariners fan, watching Savali carve up the Mariners, you would say, what in the hell, man? Change your approach. Do something. You, you, you have to get after this guy. Watching Castillo in the opener, didn't you just feel like, this dude's on today? And, and sometimes you just get pitched to. And I just felt like that opener, for as boring as it was, I'm sure, for, for Guardians fans watching it, it just felt like a day where the Mariners' ace went and outpitched your ace, but then the rest of the series played out, and the Guardians emerged with three wins. I mean, hard to be complaining too much about that. Yeah, I, I tweeted out the pitching matchups, I think, the day before the opener, and this is, especially in playoff time, and we, we're all guilty of it, but we, when we analyze a series, we only look at the pitching matchups, the starting pitchers, that's all that matters, and... Maybe it's because it's just so unpredictable and that's the only thing you can compare that has some validity. We make fun of people who predict a playoff series based on who has the edge at third base, who has the edge at pinch runner. But at least with pitch, starting pitchers, you can sort of compare and sometimes it plays out that way. But in looking at this series, I just remember reading the replies and the quote tweets and everybody's saying, all right, well, they'll probably get the opener and then maybe they can get one more. Because you're just looking at the pitching matchups and you just assume, well, Hunter Gaddis against Robbie Ray is not favorable for Cleveland. I've watched enough baseball, and this isn't me patting myself on the back. It's me knowing I don't know anything. I've watched enough baseball to know that that doesn't matter. Like, teams win games they aren't supposed to win going in. I don't know that it's the toughest sport to bet, but I'm assuming it's probably the toughest sport to bet because on any given night, anything can happen. And Seattle has incredible pitching. I think they have a top three rotation in baseball. Uh, we didn't even see George Kirby in this series. And I saw Eno Saris and some other people floating out that he might be a dark horse for Cy Young this year. Uh, and he's their number five, maybe number four in terms of talent going into the season. But um, Hunter Gaddis won a game. Like You won the Hunter Gaddis game. Savali gave you... A really, really good start. Cal Quantrill did not have good stuff on Sunday, and you still pull that out. And so it's, it's you just, you don't know. And a team like the Guardians, again, they're just not going to go quietly most nights. So they just seem to always, like situations, I, I think why they were so good in extra innings last year, situations like that where you start the inning with a runner on second base, they capitalize and they find ways to escape when other teams are in position to capitalize. That, that's the best way I can explain it. But um, 
they just do that constantly. And so I've learned, don't make predictions about this team because they'll make <laughs> you look stupid. I don't, again, I don't know if there's anything to it at all. And I'm not sure how far this carries in. But the team just knowing not offensively the way they want to play, it took them a while to figure that out last year. And the personnel changes were part of that too. You didn't have Yu Chang and Bobby Bradley too deep into the season. So how the team changed or how the team was put together changed. And so that impacted how they played. But also in the bullpen too. This was not a team that had everything set up exactly the way they wanted at the start of, of last year. I was just trying to think last year if they had a situation like they did in this opening series where, okay, you go to Class A in game, games two and three, and then the fourth game comes up, who's going to be saving that game? Is it going to be Karen Brian Check Shaw? Was unavailable. Karen Check was unavailable too. So it was, who's your third option? So you get put in a position where the bullpen has to come up big because Quantrill can't go deep into the game. Then you're coming with, with Heron coming out of the bullpen. Looks like this, the second coming of Andrew Miller. Or the third coming, if you want to take credit for your Sam Hench's prediction, whatever the case may be. Uh, like and a then years. You, you close the game. Well, then you get De Los Santos. You get Sandlin coming in. You, I mean, it's put together in such a way that because they went through a lot of the, the struggles last year and you had some good stretches, you had some amazing stretches, and you had some bad stretches, but they entered this year. We talked about it at the beginning of the year when they had some injuries in the bullpen, that it was a nice thing to know when you begin the year kind of what everyone's role is going to be and who is the next guy up. So you get to a game where, I don't know if they win a game like this at the beginning of, of last year, but this year you certainly do because you've learned that De Los Santos can help you. You've learned, I mean, Nick Sandlin is healthy now. And God, Heron still, that, that one blows me away. And then you get to the guy that got the extension. The Rule 5 hero from a couple of years ago, Trevor Steffen. I, I, when he comes out of the bullpen with the runner on second base, I can't speak for you, Zach, but I, I'm looking at it and I go, I think it's a pretty good chance, probably 90% chance that that guy doesn't score. I don't know how many teams can say that about maybe their third best reliever that you just, oh, yeah, that's, that guy's not going to score. But in extra innings, when your two best relievers are down, this team doesn't feel like they miss a beat. That, that is very intriguing that they, they begin the year this way where they're not going to have to work it out. Now, injuries, you know, we, we can't predict that kind of thing. And bullpens are always kind of fluky. But to begin the year, and you just know how that's all set up, has to be such a joy for Tito to look at the, a game like this and know that. But also, just as a fan watching it at home, you just have to feel a sense of calm so much more about this pen because they worked out some of those kinks last year. It's a great point, and I'm not just saying that because I made a similar point to Terry Francona after the game, but... This is why I, when you make a, when you forecast the season and you do it based on last season, you say, okay, they won 92 games. They got better in these areas. These areas are shaky. So I say they win X amount of games. They got to 92 by being very different teams in April and July and September, right? Well, you just said in April, you had half your lineup was guys who you would move on from pretty quickly. And the bullpen was a complete unsettled, I don't want to say mess, but you needed people to establish themselves in new roles. The only people looking to establish themselves in new roles now are only on the roster because Hentges is hurt and Cody Morris is hurt. So 
yes, they won 92 games, but they had no semblance of a structured bullpen. You didn't have Karen check for the first couple of months either. And and Stefan was good, but it, I think it took a little time to for him to build trust. Henches took a little time to build trust. Eli Morgan kind of burst onto the scene, but you know he wasn't the setup man on April 2nd. So that's right. You have order back there and confidence and trust from game one. It makes a huge difference. And that doesn't mean all those guys are going to be stalwarts all season. But you're starting from up here. Last year, you were building to that. And from July on, you were up there. But you're up there from April on. It allows you to win games that you wouldn't have won last season. And it's why Hunter Gaddis and Cal Quantrill don't give you a ton, but you're still in the game. And you get enough offense on those days, and you win the games. Yeah, I don't know that I want to be counting on that. Every series deep into a series where you don't have your starters going deep in games. But it happens throughout the year. You're going to have to find different ways to win games. I think that's what's intriguing about this series is that every game, they, they sort of did different things to win those games, relying on the bullpen in the finale, relying on power and game power and pitching in game three, which is so different than games two and four. So that's encouraging. I want to see a team that grows and can win games in different ways because – not every team is built the same that you play. The Mariners aren't going to be the same as the Yankees. Aren't going to be the same as the Tigers. Aren't going to be the. Every team has their strengths and weaknesses. So learning that this team, as they grow and this progression continues for this young bunch, that we know that they can win games in different ways helps me feel like this is more projectable and and I can believe in it more than I already just saw at the end of last year. And it also makes it nice when you kind of draw things up in the off season. I don't know something like going to get a catcher to upgrade what you've been getting offensively. Now, I'm not exactly pleased that some of what I've pointed to as being a concern of mine has played out as well with some of the lack of blocks on balls in the dirt, but I'll put that aside. You want to spend the next 20 minutes on that? I'll put that aside for a minute, Zach, and focus on the guy had a big game, Mike Zanino. Big game today, and the reason why is we were having a, a birthday party for my son Ethan today, my parents are over, and I said, you know, it's, it's amazing you put Zanino in the bottom of the lineup. Why? Because you're just praying that one of the 20 times that he hits a home run this year, there's a couple of guys on base. And you, mm-hmm. if you get that out of the eighth spot, you're, like, you're, you're thrilled with that. You're just hoping that those home runs that he hits are big ones. And today, they, it was. It was a big one, and he didn't contribute just the home run. He helps contribute to the, the tying run later in the game. So this kind of played out as, as well as they could hope for what they're they're anticipating and hoping for at that catcher position this year. Want to play a game? I would love to play a game. All right, fail. let's see. Let's see how far you can go back. No, I, I lost. No, let's do it this way. Can you name the Cleveland catchers who have had <laughs> three extra base hits in a game since the year 2000? Since the year 2000. Since the year 2000. Three extra base hits in a game. Because that's what Zanino did on Sunday. Okay. Um, I'm going to start recently. Did Roberto Perez do that? No. Never? Nope. Ne- oh, my God. Okay. Uh, did Jan Gomes do that? No. Oh, my God. Did Carlos Santana do that? He did. Almost 10 years ago to the day, April 7th, 2013 in Tampa. 
Did George Kataris do that? No. <laughs> Close. Two home run game? That's right. Um, it's, how many are on the list? Uh, Zanino, Santana, and four others. Four others. Uh, Sandy Alomar? No. His last year with Cleveland was 2000 anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, Victor Martinez. Correct. July 16th, 2004. This is courtesy of, I think we had looked up a few of these names in the press box. <laughs> and then at Klee underscore stats filled in a oh. couple blanks here. Kelly Shopik, did he do that? Correct. July 30th, oh. 2008. Two more. No Sal Fasano, no Brett Hayes. No Wilson Ramos, no Rene Rivera, no Sandy Leone, no Chris Jimenez, no Mike Redmond. Nobody did get thrown out at first base on a single to right field. Uh, I don't know. Who, let's not hold it up. All right, let's go. Enar Diaz, April 28, oh, okay. 2001. Aynard, against his future it. team, Texas. And then the one that shocked me. Lou Marson had three doubles on May 29th, 2010 at Yankee Stadium. I'm not sure wow. if that was before or after he became very good friends with the Bella Twins. <laughs> I was going to say, that's not, no, I'm not going to make that joke. Okay, no, I'm surprised. Yeah, that's the list. That is a hasn't hell of happened a list. in ten years. Zanino did it in his fourth game, his third game. Has to feel fantastic for him to do that in Seattle. Not that Seattle's his most recent team, but where he spent most of his career with Seattle, and to come up big at the end of this series, it's huge. Yeah, and I, I you know, your point. It's it's about sequencing, right? You know, I think every team would love to have nine guys in the lineup who are a threat deliver impact at any time but in reality you're going to have a spot or two or three or if you're the tigers eight that you're just praying that the one time this guy delivers it's impactful it's runners on base it's a close game and if you figure in the past you, you know austin hedges would give you like seven home runs you're praying that one or two of those comes at a momentous time with Zanino, maybe you're hoping for 20 home runs or so, and you really like it when it's a three-run homer and the game is still in hand, and it's not a solo shot when you're down 9-1 to one in the eighth inning. You can't control that stuff. So that's when I think sequencing goes in your favor. Reminder, this show is brought to you in part by SeatGeek. Promo code SELBY. Download the app. Seat Geek, save you some money. Do it fast. I mean, do it within 15 seconds. Pretend you're a pitcher on the mound. Like, I don't know, James Karinchak in the opener. We, we began the show by talking about some of the least surprising things. I think Karinchak having an issue with the pitch clock would have been right there on the bingo card for all of our friends in the Discord. Karinchak having issues with the pitch clock would have been right there in this. It was almost like a free space that you knew was going to be there. Yeah. I mean, he... He assured his coaches all winter, all spring, ah, this won't be a big deal, I'm fine. I can cut out some of the extracurriculars between pitches and 
won't be an issue. You know, it was interesting. The fans didn't count until a pitcher had a violation. And we saw it Sunday with Eniel De Los Santos in the ninth inning. Ninth inning? Ninth inning. And his inning started with a violation, and the rest of the inning, they're counting down every time. And they're yelling, nine, eight, seven. He had some close calls, too. First of all, I, I still don't understand. You sh I guess it might be a little difficult to get everyone on the same page, but count the wrong numbers. That's how you're going to screw them up. Go 3-2-1 when there's 10 seconds on the clock. Or go 9-8-7 when there's 2 seconds on the clock. That's what I want to see. But it also made me think, why do they wait until there's a violation to start counting and really get into it and be loud and a try to fluster the pitcher? Do that in the fourth inning. <laughs> when, when it's, I mean, the, the clock's going the whole game. Um, but you could see, especially Thursday, whether Karen Check wants to admit it or not. I, and, and this is the thing, I think, why it was tough to predict the effect that the new rules would have. Because if you mess up in spring training, there's no consequence. Oh, no, we slipped to seventh in the Cactus League standings because my error cost us the game. What are we going to do? Well, now it matters. And you get that first pitch violation. Fans get really into it. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, heart's pumping a little more. Got to rein it in here. But it's a scoreless game. One mistake could end it. And, like, there's a lot to think through. That's why I thought I, I kind of credit Terry Francona to leaving him in because you have to work it out. You have to pitch in those situations to test your mettle, to figure out how you can escape those. And two nights later, he did. Um, I think that'll be beneficial in the long run. But you know, it, it makes me think about going to get in some big games in September and certainly October, no matter who you are. And an atmosphere. I mean, think about like Yankee Stadium in a playoff game. And it's a big situation. The bases are loaded in the ninth inning. And it's, you got a 2-2 two -two count on a guy. And that fans are yelling, 4-3-2. Like, think of the pressure. I don't care who's on the mound. Um, to, to, to feel that sort of environment in late March, early April, I think it's pretty cool. If you're still dealing with it to that level in September and October, you kind of deserve what's coming your way. If you can't adjust to it within the next five, six months, then really, what are we doing here? And I think they will. I think most pitchers will. I will tell you, in the opener, I felt an unbelievable level of anxiety watching that pitch clock. And eventually I had to say to myself, stop doing that, you dummy. You're making yourself anxious. For you don't deliver the pitch. And I think it's more like me watching The Office going, Michael Scott, what the hell are you doing? It's like secondhand embarrassment. I don't want to feel that with the pitcher on the mound. And then as the next three games unfolded, I started to pay far less attention to that pitch clock. But I can tell you in that opener, despite the fact that I had watched spring training and I think it's this game's for real. This counts, and you don't know how players are going to react once it actually counts. You don't know who it's going to impact. And so I, I was. I was watching with incredible anxiety. But once you got past that and I saw a game end in two hours, three minutes, I was like, all right. Do you want a season's worth of two-hour and four-minute games? No, no. 
But isn't that, I mean, that's an outlier game. That's not, Savali was was amazing, and the two runs scored were on solo home runs. That that can happen. Yeah. I think what's amazing is you can play a game that goes 10 innings. A lot of shit happens. And what was the time of today's? 240-something? So I think that's good. I don't have complaints about the new rules yet. I think there are some quirks with the pitch clock and who's ready when, and I feel like the the eight second you have to be engaged with eight seconds left. I still am trying to get on board with that and understand who has the power in in each at bat. Um, but yeah, I mean there, there's there's a good pace, there's a good rhythm to every game because you know it. I mean you get those games during a season where even sometimes it's like two one, but it just had no rhythm, no no tempo, no. There's just a lot of dead time. I don't know if it's so many foul balls or it's just everyone laboring through every inning and just escaping damage, but there are nights where it's a two-to-one score and it's three hours, 32 minutes, and you're just shaking your head like that was painful to watch. I think yeah. those are the ones that you'll that will make the most progress, that, that will feel far better than they did in the past. Um, you know, your pitching duels are always going to be quick. But I, early returns are good. I, I think it's been, I've found myself, I mean, I, you know, I try to balance writing, working on stuff during games and paying close attention. And I think I found myself paying more attention during this series than I might have in your average series. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, I joked about it on Twitter that it's like, the movies that are cut down and then later on they sell the extended cut and there's all this extra stuff and did you really need that in there is probably a reason why it was cut out but they'll sell it to you because we're all fanatics about whatever we really really love i don't find myself missing the pacing around the mound and i don't feel like it did feel rushed a little bit in the opener but i adjusted to that pretty quickly and i think the players will too and i just don't find myself missing what what was previously there? It would be like the NFL have what, the play clocks in the NFL. What are they? 40, 40 seconds. 40, yeah. So imagine it's 55 seconds and it's just 15 more seconds of dead time. Guys huddling up and nothing happening. You're not l- losing action by taking this time out. You're just losing all that in between time. And it's far less time for me to look down on my phone and get caught up in scrolling through TikTok before it gets banned. And, I don't have as much time to do that. So I'm locked in on every pitch and there's less chance to lose me between pitches. And I, I think of those games, I mean, you're talking about the the grinds of games where they are pitchers duels or it is three to two and nothing's really happening. But I'm thinking of even the games where it's eight to one and it's been decided since the fifth inning and you're sitting there in the seventh going, holy hell, can we just fast forward to the end of this game? I, I haven't mm. felt that. Now, this is an incredible series between two very good teams here. And so that helps you stay locked in 
Not that this is a playoff atmosphere, but it could be a playoff preview. We don't know that. These two teams could meet later in the year, so it's intriguing in that aspect. But I, I don't find myself going, man, I just... I wish there was another 30 minutes tacked onto this game. Even on the West Coast, you know what? It made it easier to stay up till 10 o'clock because I knew it could be just after midnight and we'd be nearing a conclusion. And I feel like I can commit to that as a fan sitting at home as opposed to the game starting at 10-10 and I don't, this might end at 1-30 and I can't stay up for that. Yeah, the only question I have is what it's going to do to the fan experience. And this is where our listeners can maybe chime in more, but... I mean, they had big crowds here all weekend, 34,000 on Sunday. And I saw some long lines. I ate wonton soup on Sunday. There's, there's like, there's a, a Chinese restaurant that has a concession stand right beneath the press box, and it's freezing <sighs> today. Um, I'm, I'm so jealous as you talk about this. And it's absolutely freezing. The wind's blowing in. The windows are open in the press box. I thought, when else am I going to, when is it going to make sense to get wonton soup? And the line was outrageously long because everyone else had the same idea. Lines for coffee places were very long. And you could miss three innings if you're waiting in, li- in a long line to get a beer, to get a, a hot dog, to get whatever. So that's the one thing I'm curious to find out how that experience goes. And especially in Cleveland, because I know sometimes they don't staff everywhere, especially in the upper deck during games where maybe they don't expect a fuller crowd. Does that create longer lines? Does that make you miss more action? I don't know. I'll be curious to hear how things go Friday. But, I mean, personally, I, I, I can't complain about Quick games, but but that's not the right word. I think just efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not missing any action by it happening. But you're right. There are elements of it that are tough to know until it actually plays out. I know some have, have voiced those concerns on Twitter. In our Discord have talked that they're less likely to make a trip up to Cleveland if they're from three hours away, if this, the game's going to be over quickly, and they can't just settle in to, to enjoy the typical three-hour, 15-minute game. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I can speak to the first four games that I watched on TV, and you can speak to the first four that you watched from a press box, and I can say it was a more enjoyable viewing experience as I got very very quickly used to all of this playing out. And I'm very intrigued. And the funny thing is, for as much as we also talked about the bigger bases, which you are seeing teams take advantage, more steals, Guardians catchers, to their credit, have actually thrown a couple of guys out in some key spots. But the, I, I, ne- I never really said, oh, look, there's the shift. There's the, oh, that's the, the shift. Maybe a couple of times. There were a couple couple singles. Maybe. I think Jimenez had one and Bell had one that I said, I don't know if that would have been a hit last year. Yeah. But it's like, has it really impacted the game to a, a significant level? Or is it just kind of what we thought it would be? Maybe a single here and there. And maybe that leads to an extra run here and there. But probably not as, as significant as it could be have been potentially main thing is in terms of a pure viewer standpoint those were four entertaining games and you're right two good teams two teams that have the pieces to be really good and potentially go far in october 
Um, but I, I think I think it was just more enjoyable. I mean, especially the way Cleveland plays when they're taking advantage of the new rules and they're slapping singles all over the place and running and capitalizing on mistakes, and they're doing that in two hours and 29 minutes, it's an enjoyable watch. I mean, I, I like, let us know. Did you? Sure. I, I would think, and I'm not just saying this on behalf of Cleveland fans because they won three of four, but that seemed like it would have been a very enjoyable series to tune in for if you could find it on your <laughs> apps or whatever. Uh, easy, service. easy. Let's leave on a positive note. But yes, uh, we want to hear, we, we often say on this show, we don't want to tell you how to feel. We'll tell you how we feel, but how you feel is how you feel. And if we disagree, we disagree. Drop into the comments on YouTube. Leave us a, a message in the Discord. And if you're not a member of the Discord, then come help support the show and you get access to the Discord. And of course, we'll be back later this week over at patreon.com slash Godcast to recap another series. And who knows where Zach will be and what wildlife will be in the background, but you'll have to keep it locked to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you catch your podcasts. Nice opening weekend, huh? Pretty good wonton soup. I'm so disappointed. I want some now. You know I'm going to want some. I think uh, the Guardians have crab rangoon nachos. That's the closest you're going to get. That progressive field. That sounds like a monster from Star Wars. I'm not going to lie. All right. For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi, and you are you. We will be back later this week over at Patreon. And, of course, as we kick off the season, we will be with you for free shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you catch them. Or go follow us on YouTube where you can see the video. And who knows what might be in the background. You always got to watch. We're out of here. See ya.